I really had the urge to vomit. So I stood up really quickly from the couch and dropped my laptop on the floor. I dropped my phone and I ran to the bathroom and got sick. Hello, you are listening to NPE Stories. This is a podcast where NPEs can share their story. I am your host, Lily, and I found out I was an NPE through an ancestry DNA test that changed my life forever. NPE is a term that stands for not parent expected or non-paternal event. This means that one or more of our parents are not who we believe them to be. NPE Stories is a podcast where NPEs can share their story of what their original family was like, how they found out they were an NPE, and what their journey has been like since the day they found out. Welcome to episode 86. I recently sat in on a webinar by Right to Know. They are accessible through righttoknow.us or on the Right to Know Facebook page. And they had on an art therapist and an author to speak with all NPEs, LDAs, DCPs. And they just gave us a little bit more of a tool set that we could use for our healing. So I wanted to briefly talk about that. First, there was Erin Partridge. And Erin is an art therapist. And she took us through a little, I guess, an artistic process. She made it really easy for us. She said, grab a piece of you know, scrap paper or a post-it note, even the back of some junk mail and something to draw with. And she just had us write down or draw, actually, what it is that we were feeling as an NPE. And it was just a couple minutes long, and it was really calming and relaxing. And then she had us hold up our pieces of artwork to each other. And it was just something kind of new and different. I know a lot of NPEs use art as a way to creatively process and go through healing, but it, it was newer for me. So I, I just thought I'd mention that something that you could try if you yourself are experiencing a DNA surprise. And also, Don Davies came on this webinar, and she is an author. She was actually a guest on my podcast of episode 77, Don's Story. She led us in a journaling practice, which was really out of my comfort zone. I am not a writer, but she just started with having us make a list. We didn't have to journal paragraphs upon paragraphs. We just started with making a list. And from there, she had us expand one paragraph on what non-NPEs don't understand about what we are going through. So she made it really simple and a simple journaling practice that she said we could try at home. And I just thought I'd mention that. Again, just something I'm always exploring is new ways of healing. So if you would like further information, I will write down their names in the show notes and please visit Right to Know on the Facebook page as well for more information on the webinars that they do every month. But today I am speaking with an NPE and we are going to listen to her story. Hi, Michelle. 
Hi, Lily. How are you? I'm good. Thank you so much for being willing to share your story today. Thank you for having me. I was looking at your Instagram this morning. You seem really artistic and and it seems like your husband and your daughter are super crafty. Did I see a chalk, an amazing sidewalk chalk drawing by your husband on there? Yeah, he is. He blows my mind with that. He and my daughter go out there and just have a great time drawing. And um, he's definitely um, artistic when it comes to drawing. I am not good at chalk drawings at all. I can do figures. That's about it. You are adorable. Your daughter appears to be healing from a, a thumb injury and you have a different colored bandage that is wrapped up cutely and creatively every day. I love it. It's adorable. <laughs> she calls it thumpkin. Yeah. So cute. You're a good mommy. Thank you. Okay. So, um, oh, you have a podcast as well. Can you briefly talk about this at the beginning? I do. Yeah. I'm, I'm much newer at it than you are. Um, as a matter of fact, when I started the podcast and came up with the idea, um, I didn't know that you had a podcast. I didn't know there were any podcasts out there um, for NPEs. And I was you know, just trying to find a way to get my story out there to help other people and to maybe um, let other people share their stories as well. Um. And after I started that and recorded my story and put it out there, um, somebody actually reached out to me to tell me about your podcast. And I started immediately listening to every episode. Hmm. Um, so yeah, so my podcast is called The Secret in My DNA. Um, it's in its infancy. So right now my story is the one um, that is on there. And I'm currently in the interviewing and editing process for some other stories that will be up soon. And it is a process, isn't it, to get it, it to get those stories up there? Oh, this is wonderful. <laughs> really, I'm enjoying it though. It's very, it's very therapeutic. Um, I feel like I belong to an amazing community um, now of people who just get it, you know, who understand what this right. is all like. Right. I know. Doesn't it feel? I mean, we are considering the surprise, the shock, the trauma we have been through to have this little world, this community that we can relate with one another. It just, it means the world. It, it feels like you're finally connected when another person gets it. Absolutely. Um, you know, before, when I first made my discovery in 2016, I didn't really have anywhere to reach out to, you know, this, this wasn't as, um, I guess, mainstream as it is now and, or as common, as it is now. And so I felt very, very alone, very alone. Um, and, you know, even though I had some friends and some family, and of course my husband there to support me, um, who care very much about me, um, they just could never fully understand, you know, um, what I was going through. And so for several years, I really went through all of it on my own. Um, so it's been really nice over the last couple of years to um, finally find other people like myself who are living this as well. Yes. Oh, you. Oh, you poor thing. I'm sorry, but 2016 there. That was definitely before so many of these more newer resources have come out for us. That oh, yeah. that must have been super challenging. It really was. It was very lonesome. 
Very oh. lovely. Okay, so we're going to get your story. You know the format format here. I am more of a listener. <laughs> so um, let's start at the beginning with you. I'm going to take some notes and tell me who was in your original family and anything you want to share about that dynamic and take it from there. <sighs> um, I'm a crier. I'm just going to warn you now. <laughs> I, I, I got it. Cry away. This is the space. Who's ready? I have it ready. <laughs> um, so, okay. My uh, family growing up was, um, at first it was just my, my mother and I and um, her first husband, who I thought was my father. Uh, they were quite young. So my mother had me around the age of 18. Um, I believe he was 19. So I really started out um, as an only child, um, but they divorced when I was very young, I think around the age of two or three. And then he was out of the picture. Um, I guess there were a lot of court battles and uh, eventually he gave up and walked away. So he was not involved in raising me, um, you know, no child support, no visitation, anything like that. So it was uh, she and I um, until around the age of seven um, is when she um, met who would become my stepfather. At that point, going back just slightly, um, as a young child, as a, as a baby, really, uh, my mother got involved in uh, religion, um, an organization called Jehovah's Witnesses. Um, so she was heavily involved in that um, after my father left. Um, and so the man that she met and subsequently married, who would become my stepfather, was um, involved in that religion as well. From there, they had four children pretty quickly. So um, my first sister um, arrived when I was around eight years old. Um, not long after they got married, I believe she was a honeymoon uh, conception. <laughs> and um, then from there, um, the next three were born about within about a year to a year and a half of each other. So I had four siblings pretty quickly after that. We were all raised together. Um, and, you know, my, my parents were pretty heavily involved in their religion. So we were, you know, required to be a, a part of that as well. I would say um, it was a highly strained relationship between my mother and I. Um, my mother seemed to really struggle with her um, mental health and um, was a very volatile person. She took a lot of that out on me, um, some of it out on my stepfather. So I just remember, you know, as a kid, always being very hyper aware that their marriage was not healthy, you know, always being very, very on edge so that I wouldn't, you know, make her angry. And uh, I had a probably way too much of an expected role in the caretaking of my siblings. Um, and so I think that also caused a lot of strain. So there was really, you know, to be honest, there was really no childhood for me. I was an adult, very young, very young. Um, and a lot was expected of me, you know, from the time I was 
you know, eight years old. Um, yeah. So that's kind of really the gist of, you know, my childhood. I had a, a pretty tumultuous relationship with my mother. You know, I tried really hard to never step out of line. Um, but there was really never any pleasing her. Um, it was never good enough. Um, and so there was a lot of verbal and physical abuse, which my mother loves to call discipline. Mm. <laughs> Um, and so at the age of 16, I finally had had enough and I left, um, which was really hard to do because I, you know, very much had a bond with my siblings and Mm. I, I worried about them. I worried about leaving them behind. That was, uh, I would say a pretty traumatic event in my life, uh, leaving them behind. Um, at that point I tried to, I was trying to get to know my father who my mother had forbidden me from ever getting to know or ever seeing. And that was really the catalyst to me leaving, um, was that she had found out that I was, um, secretly, um, getting together with him and trying to start a relationship with him. Um, and she was very, very angry about that. And so, uh, basically the day that I left, um, I left when she, we had had an argument about it because she had found out after she hid a camera in the house while she was gone and captured a phone call that I had with him. Um, Oh, wow. uh, Right. Yeah. She was pretty sneaky. So she had hidden a, a video camera on top of the refrigerator and I had a phone call and I, and I think it was with him. It may have been with my grandmother, his mother. Um, but that's how she ended up finding out. And I was confronted about it and, you know, an argument ensued. She basically said, <clears throat> you are a good for nothing. Sorry, excuse for a daughter. And she ripped up my birth certificate. <laughs> oh. Yeah. And I left. I left. Oh. Mm-hmm. So that was it, you know, for me, for a while, I went no contact with her for a long time, years, and just went out on my own. You know, I I stayed with my grandparents, um, who were my father's parents for a short time. And then I tried to live with my father and stepmother for a little while. Um, but there was just never this ability to bond. He He... It just was something wasn't right, you know, it just didn't feel right. And, um, you know, I think he had a hard time dealing with, you know, all the emotions that I was going through. I was going through depression, uh, trauma, which I didn't know until my adult life that it was trauma, you know, mm-hmm. and he eventually after about a year said, you know, I don't, I don't think, um, this is working out. <laughs> And, um, yeah, so then I had nowhere to go. So I reluctantly went back to my mother's. She, you know, promised that she had changed and that she wanted me back and that everything was going to be wonderful, (laughs) which, you know, was kind of a honeymoon phase of sorts, you know, after some time it just wasn't going well. So I ended up moving out on my own, got my own place and started my adult life basically. Oh my gosh, you were yeah. so young. 
Yeah. Yeah. Very young, very, um, had to, you know, become independent very early on. And, and because, you know, I don't know how, how that organization or that religion is now, but at that time, you know, um, getting help for abuse was a no, no getting authorities involved was a no, no. Uh, my mother, you know, um, CPS had been called several times, you know, on my mother when I was a teenager and nothing was ever done. And of course it was hush hush, you know, in the church and and whatever. And, um, you know, you just, you just didn't get get involved with going to therapy, you know, and things like that. So there, there was a lot of like mental health issues and things like that, that were just going untreated as a result. And, and the other issue was that they did not, um, really allow or encourage higher education. So, you know, I had to go out on my own um, without, you know, just with a high school diploma, <laughs> you know, have two or three jobs and just try to um, make ends meet, you know, and take care of myself um, at a very young age. And, um, you know, got married young at, at 20 years old. Uh, divorced by 22. <laughs> and um, so it was a, you know, it, it was definitely a trial and error type of life for me, for sure. Hmm. Oh, yeah. Oh, wow. Thank you for going back to that place and sharing that with me. I know it's, I know it's hard to talk about that, to talk about your childhood and what you experienced with your mom and your pretty much missing birth certificate father. So uh, thank you for explaining your background story. Okay. Okay, Michelle. So how did you find out you were in NPE? Um, So the way that I found out that I was in NPE was by total, (laughs) total chance. I, um, my husband and I were living in uh, New York um, which is where I'm from and where we met. And he had gotten a job offer down in Florida. Um, and we had always wanted to live in Florida and get away from the harsh um, Northeastern winters. Um, so we were pretty excited about that. And we um, hightailed it down to Florida and started our new life, the two of us. And while we were you know, settling into our new home, Um, you know, we saw an ancestry ad on television and my husband said, Oh, you know, we should really do that. That looks really cool. We should do the whole, you know, DNA thing. And, um, he had suggested doing it because, um, he knew that on my father's side of the family, um, uh, there was native American heritage. Um, and he said, you know, you've been talking about the possibility of going back to school. Uh, maybe if you find out, you know, what your, um, heritage is and, you know, like the percentage and follow that line, maybe you might be able to get some um, help financially, you know, to go back to school. And I was like, oh, you know, maybe, you know, I'm just kind of tossing around the idea. It was nothing serious. And uh, and he said, we should do it. We should do it. And I said, well, you know, why don't we, instead of getting the DNA test thing, because they're so expensive, um, I said, why don't we just join Ancestry and just start doing our family trees? So that's what we did. And that was kind of like our fun, relaxing thing to do after work. We would just sit on the couch together and 
you know, we started from our parents and our grandparents and our great grandparents. And after like three months or so of doing that, I ended up tracing back my father's side of the family to, I want to say around like the 1600s. Um, so it was really, it was really a cool experience. And then one day my husband says, Hey, let's order the DNA kits. And I was like, no way. It's, it's like a hundred dollars a pop. You know, right now we, we just moved. We just incurred a lot of moving expenses. Uh, we just bought a new house. Um, I was trying to restart um, my dance studio up because I had closed my dance studio up in New York and was trying to restart my business down in Florida. And there's a lot of, you know, expenses that go into, you know, starting your business up again. So I was like, I just don't think we should spend the money on that right now. And he's like, oh, let's just do it. Let's just do it. It's it's just money. You can't take it with you, you know? So I agreed and we ordered our DNA kits. When we got the kits, um, we had a lot of fun with it. You know, I, I didn't know what to expect, so I didn't realize it was going to be spitting into a vial. And I don't have a very saliva-y mouth. <laughs> <laughs> I really struggled with it. He he was done like real quick. And I was like, honey, I don't, I don't think I can fill this entire, this entire thing because <laughs> you have to like fill it up to the line. Mm-hmm. And so it took me forever, you know, just trying to get that thing filled. And um, uh, he was laughing at me and I finally get it done and we send it off in the mail and we're all excited. And uh, I want to say it was like maybe six weeks later, um, the results come in, I get the email, but my husband and I had made the agreement that, you know, since he would most likely be at work when the results came in, that I wouldn't look at the results first. I would wait until he got home so we could do it together. So I told him the results were in, I promised him I wouldn't look and I didn't, I kept my email closed. And when he got home that night, um, we had dinner and stuff and just had our typical evening, got ready for bed. Um, and then when we got into bed, we decided to open up my laptop. And so we decided to look at his results first and nothing stood out as, you know, out of the ordinary. Um, and everything was, you know, really just exactly what he had been told as far as, you know, his ethnicities and and things like that. And, um, so no surprises there. And then uh, we decide to log into my account and open mine up. And the first thing that popped up was that, you know, pie chart thing on Ancestry. And we just kind of sat there real quiet <laughs> because half of the pie chart was red, like a full half, 50% of it was just one ethnicity. And it said, um, Italy. And the other side of the pie chart was, you know, everything that I knew from my, like my mother's side, Irish and Scottish, and I think some German, you know, um, stuff like that. So nothing out of the ordinary there, but there was never any Italian, um, heritage in my family. So it was really quiet. And I, and I think both of us just kind of didn't know what to say. And there were a lot of alarm bells going off in my head, but I didn't really know what to think of it. 
And all and my husband suddenly breaks the silence and says, so did you know that you're half Italian? <laughs> and I said a bad word. <laughs> I was pretty shocked. And um, I said, I'm not, I'm not Italian. This is a mistake. And he's like, uh, you're, you're definitely really, really Italian. And I'm like, no, I'm, this is not possible. It's not possible. I'm not Italian. (laughs) And he's like, so there's nobody Italian in your family. Like your father's not Italian. And I'm like, no, he's French Canadian. He's native American Algonquin. Um, definitely not any Italian, you know? And, uh, I said, this has got to be a mistake. You know, I started getting kind of mad at at ancestry (laughs) and I was like, this company calls themselves reputable. Like this is ridiculous. Like they they obviously don't know what they're doing. They must've mixed up my DNA in the lab with somebody else. This is stupid. I can't believe we just wasted $200 (laughs) on DNA testing. Um, I was pretty mad, you know, and, um, at that point, I was really putting all the blame on on ancestry. <laughs> I think it was in like shock and denial, and I was just like, "This is some kind of hodgepodge company," you know. And uh, my husband then says, "Now it's like ten ten thirty at night," um, and I, I hadn't spoken to my mother in many many years. I had gone no contact with my mother many years prior. As a matter of fact, I didn't even tell her or any of my immediate family that I was moving to Florida. They didn't even know. So at like 10, 1030 at night, my husband says, I think you need to call your mother. And I was like, I'm not calling her. I I don't want to speak to my mother. And he's like, well, here's the thing. I know you don't want to speak with her. And I know it's been a long time since you've spoken to her, but catching her off guard might be the best way to get the truth at this point. And so I agreed with that. I was like, you know, maybe that's, maybe that's sound advice, you know? So I dialed her number and I knew she probably wouldn't recognize the number because it was a Florida number. Um, and I figured she wasn't going to answer the phone, but she did, which I was pretty surprised about. And, um, she was surprised to hear from me. And I just kind of started the conversation with, um, I just got my results back from a DNA test. Is there anything that you need to tell me? I'm sorry. And she laughed. She laughed at me. And it was a um, really strange laugh. It was uh, kind of like a, a very evil sort of laugh. And I, you know, I asked her again, you know, is there something you need to tell me? Why? I said, why is my DNA 
results telling me that I'm half Italian. And she laughed again and said, you're not Italian. Rick is your father. There can be no other, she said. And I said, well, Rick is not Italian, Mom. So um, obviously somebody else is my father. Do you want to tell me about anybody else that you were with around the time that I was conceived? And she got very angry. She was, you know, really throughout the whole conversation, she was very, um, very defensive, very abusive. Um, she kept insisting that nobody else could possibly be my father, but Rick, that she had didn't have sex with anyone else. And, um, after I continued to beg her for the truth, she basically said, um, you have a black soul and she hung up on me. And my husband then said to me, well, if, (laughs) if that's not the truth, you know, as far as her reaction, he said, I don't know what is because her, the way that she reacted like right from the get go, um, right there tells you that she's lying to you, you know? So we knew, you know, at that point, and I think she was pretty shocked that she had been, that her secret came out, you know, Michelle, everything about that terrible reaction from your mother just makes my heart break for you. Yeah, it's um, unfortunate. It's unfortunate. And I, I'm not alone in that for sure. Mm-mm. Um, yeah, it's pretty, it's pretty unfortunate. Unbelievable. Yeah. But yet it, but yet it's, it happens. It's, it does. I'm finding it to be a very common reaction from hearing other NPE stories that their mothers are very untruthful and very, you know, defensive and, and get very angry with them for finding out the truth. Um, and will continue to deny even, even in the face of DNA testing, mm-hmm. um, I have three DNA tests that to this day, my mother and my siblings refuse to look at or acknowledge. So that night, um, we decided to call my father. When we moved down to Florida, we actually moved to the same area as my father and um, his third wife my stepmother. And, um, we decided to try to start a relationship with him again. Um, and so we had only been down here a few months at that point. We had come to visit them, um, a couple of Christmases prior to us moving down and it went really well. So we were forming a relationship with them and we had been spending a lot of time with them and they knew about the whole, you know, ancestry thing. And, um, you know, of course they weren't really expecting any Um, surprises. So I reluctantly call him and my stepmom, Stephanie answers the phone. And, um, I was really in shock at this point. I had just gotten off the phone with my mother. So I was shaking. I was pretty, um, stirred up. And, you know, we told her that my DNA results came in weird. Um, 
I think I could tell by, I could just tell that she knew what was happening at that point. She was putting two and two together. And she asked me, would you like to talk to Rick? And I said, no, I'm not ready. And she said, okay, I'll, I'll fill him in for you. Um, and when you're ready, you know, you can give him a call. So, um, that was really kind of her. I really appreciated just kind of having that buffer, you know? And, um, so we decided to, you know, just try to go to sleep at that point. My husband had to be up really early for work the next day. So you know how guys are in the face of pretty much anything they can sleep. <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> so he fell asleep pretty quickly. Um, I laid there and stared at the ceiling pretty much the entire night. And I was, um, that night I had my first panic attack and, uh, you know, really there was no sleep to be had. Um, and of course the next day, you know, he had to leave for work really early. It's a new job for him, brand new job. So he has to, you know, be there super early. And, um, I was by myself in a new house with no friends, no family. And, um, you know, so many things had really been coursing through my brain all night. You know, I was just trying to make sense of it. So, you know, I would come up with things like, oh, you know, this must have been, you know, something like generations ago in our family history, like maybe somebody adopted an Italian child, or maybe somebody generations ago had an affair, you know, and so some Italian, you know, DNA had had come down the the bloodline. I didn't really know how the whole thing worked. So I was just trying to come up with anything, you know, maybe it was, um, you know, just migration, you know, anything that could come to mind. I I was trying because I just couldn't, you know, as, as evil as I knew my mother was, I, I could not come to terms with a mom doing that to her kid, you know, like, lying like that and keeping something like that a secret for so long. And then when being confronted, still, you know, denying it, I just, I could not, um, fathom it, you know? So I was trying to come up with any excuse that I could in my mind for why my DNA was showing Italian heritage. And, um, so I decided to, sit down on the couch and open my laptop and re-log in to Ancestry. And so I did. And that was when I started to notice that um, there were DNA matches starting to show up, which there, there hadn't been the night before. And so I'm seeing these DNA matches come up that are first cousins, but I don't recognize the name and I know all my first cousins. <laughs> so, so I'm like, well, how could I have first cousins that I don't know about? Um, and there were these two people that popped up as really strong matches, um, first cousin matches, um, with the last name 
Primorano. So a, a pretty strong Italian name. <laughs> <laughs> and um, it was showing that they were in Syracuse, New York, which is where I was born and raised. So now my heart is like beating through my chest because now I'm like, okay, well, I guess ancestry didn't mess up because these people are in Syracuse. Like that's where I'm born and raised, you know? So that would be a huge, huge coincidence that they messed me up with somebody else from Syracuse, New York. Um, so I'm like, I go all detective mode because that's what I was planning on being um, when I was younger. My, my plan was to um, go to school for law enforcement and criminal justice and, and become a detective. And I'm, I'm really good at finding things out. So <laughs> I went into like full detective mode and started trying to figure out, you know, how can I get to the bottom of this? Um, I knew obviously I, I couldn't call my mother again. She was not going to answer her phone and she was ignoring my text messages. Um, and, um, I really was not in contact with, um, some of my aunts and uncles on her side for years. Um, but I did have a really good relationship with my youngest aunt, my mother's youngest sister, um, who was just an amazing person and who I always really adored um, and looked up to. Um, she was only 11 years older than me. Um, and I thought, oh, maybe if I reach out to her, maybe she'll know something. But I know she was really young when my mom got pregnant with me. So I knew that the chances of her remembering anything were slim to none. But I decided to reach out to her anyways. So um, I called her. I hadn't talked to her in a while. Um, she was really happy to hear from me. And uh, we chatted for a few minutes. And then I told her the reason for my call. And I said, um, you know, I took a, an ancestry DNA test. And it's saying that I'm Italian, half Italian, in fact. <laughs> and she was like, what? That's not possible. You're not Italian. And I'm like, yeah, that's, that's what I said. And she's, she, you know, we just kind of giggled a little bit because I think we were both super uncomfortable and didn't really know how to handle it. And I was like, so I just have a question for you. You know, um, do you happen to remember? Now, remember, I, I have my laptop open at this point and I'm looking at these names, okay, of DNA matches, which she doesn't know. And I have not mentioned any names to her yet. So I said, you know, do you remember any Italian guys that my mom was friends with or hung out with or dated or whatever um, back when she was a senior in high school? And she said, well, the only person I remember um, was Richie Primorano. Ugh. He was her, she said he was her senior prom date. Oh, wow her date to the senior prom. And she said he was best friends with our older brother, John. And I, um, I really had the urge to vomit. So I stood up really quickly from the couch and dropped my laptop on the floor. I dropped my phone and I ran to the bathroom and got sick. And, um, then after that, I ran back to the phone and 
my aunt was really sweet. She was really worried about me. And I just said, I said, uh, Aunt Jackie, the name that's showing up as my DNA matches has the last name Primerano. And she just like audibly gasped. And then I'll never forget the next thing that she said. She said, oh, Michelle, please, please don't tell your mother that you found this out from me. She'll burn my house down. So I I swore to her that I would never divulge who told me. You know, I said to her, I said, obviously she's going to find out that, you know, I found out somehow and that, you know, possibly somebody in the family told me, but I will never, ever mention your name. I won't do it. And um, I, I don't remember at that point if I had ended the conversation with her or if she was still on the phone, but I text messaged my mother and I said, why is my DNA linking me to a family in Syracuse, New York with the last name Primerano? And that's all I said. I didn't mention any specific name. I just said with the last name Primerano. And her text message reply back was, Richie Primerano is not your father. (laughs) And I knew again that I had caught her. Hmm. Because I hadn't mentioned Richie's name. Um, And from there, it was basically a barrage of very angry texts between the two of us back and forth. Um, And then she, you know, my mother is um, a narcissist, very um, sociopathic. And um, I feel probably has like borderline personality disorder. And so all of that goes untreated. And so it's pretty difficult to communicate, you know, with her effectively. Um, And she's very, very good at, you know, manipulating people. Um, And so she very quickly went into doing damage control. And before I could even reach out to my four siblings or anyone else in the family, um, she um, turned them against me. And, um, two of my siblings just never even contacted me ever again. And two of them began to, you know, basically harass me and abuse me via text message and emails for several weeks until I finally went no contact with them, you know, and I, and I urged them to please, you know, look at the DNA test and they just would not do that. So, so unfortunately, you know, when all this happened, you know, back in 2016, I I had to go not no contact with my mother and um, my four siblings, and um, there's been no you know real communication since then. You know, the the next step at that point was let's try to figure out like who this family is. Um, but I was really scared, you know, like. A lot of NPEs will say that the, 
you know, when you do, if you do, because not everybody is lucky enough to actually find their biological family, right? So I, I got pretty lucky in that. And then it was literally the very next day that I figured out who this family was. Um, thanks to my aunt, you know, I, I, it would have taken a while to do that. A lot of NPEs, you know, say that it's very scary to reach out to the biological family because, you know, there's that fear of rejection. Um, there's that fear of denial, you know, you don't really know what the situation was, you know, what if the person that your mother was with had been having an affair, you know, and you don't want to destroy or damage a marriage or a family, you know, so, you know, I had a lot of those things really going through my mind. Um, what I had done was I had sent an email through Ancestry, a message through Ancestry to the two people that were showing up as first cousins with the last name Primorano, but I wasn't hearing anything back and weeks had gone by. So I just figured, uh, you know, they probably just really are never on there. Um, so I decided instead to reach out to a man who had been a police officer in Syracuse, New York, who was retired now. Um, and he knew my grandparents very well. He was also Italian. Um, and he knew me when I was a baby, when I was a little girl. So I reached out to him to ask if he would kind of be a, a liaison of sorts and maybe reach out to the family for me. But what ended up happening was the day that I spoke to him on the phone and he agreed to do this for me, um, I got an email on Ancestry from the person who I was matching DNA with. And um, it turns out he's my cousin. It turns out that his father was my biological father's uncle. So my grandfather's brother on my biological side. Mm -hmm. So my, my birth father's uncle. So he reached out to me and he, and I, and I had explained to him in the email that this Richie person was my mother's prom date. I was born nine months later. I'm shocked to find this all out, but I think that I may be Richie Primorano's daughter. And he said, I think that you're absolutely right. Um, he said, let me, he said, you, So going back slightly here, I forgot to mention kind of a key point to this story. Let's go back to the text message to my mother where she says, Richie Primorano is not your father. Her next text message to me at that point was, and it wouldn't matter anyways, Richie died in a motorcycle accident last year. So, uh, I think I may have subconsciously skipped over that earlier in the story because it's really brutal. <laughs> so that's how I found out that he, that he was no longer alive. And so what I did was while this text messaging was going on, I uh, Google searched Richie Primorano obituary. And a photo popped up with his obituary. And um, it was like I was looking at myself. I knew immediately. I knew. I knew immediately that he was my father. 
So when I when I reached out on Ancestry to my cousin and told him, you know, that Richie was my mom's prom date, he said, um, well, um, your grandmother is alive. You have a grandmother and you have uncles. Richie's brothers are still alive. Um, he said, this is probably going to be very shocking for them, you know, because um, <laughs> none of them had children. You know, you you would be the only one. And um, also because they are still mourning Richie's death because it had only happened about eight or nine months prior to this. Mm. Wow. So he said, let me reach out to them. He said, is it okay, you know, if I give them your contact information? And I said, yes, even though I was more scared than I had ever been in my entire life. (laughs) And uh, then it was basically just kind of a waiting game at that point. So my husband and I decided to just kind of try to chill out, you know, that night, just watch some television. Um, I was, you know, dealing with a lot of emotions. I was like angrier than I had ever been my entire life. Like, like so, so angry and, um, very, very scared. And I think still dealing with quite a bit of shock, you know, and stuff. Um, cause this was like weeks later, this was probably like three weeks after I had made the initial discovery. So I was going through like a whole <laughs> roller coaster. Um, you know, every day was a challenge, you know, at that point. So, so that night, um, after, um, my cousin had reached out, um, you know, we just decided to, you know, let's just try to like, not think about it tonight and just chill. Um, and so we're watching television and all of a sudden I, my phone alerts me to a text message and I just like casually look over at it and it looked like it was from a number that I didn't recognize. So, um, I read the message and it says, Michelle, I just found out about you. This is your uncle Vinny, Richie's brother. Uh, he said, I would really love to talk to you when you're ready. So please call me, you know, whenever you'd like. And um, that's when I had my second panic attack. (laughs) 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 And, uh, you know, he had said, you know, call me as late as you'd like. He said, I'm always up late. Um, And I was like totally panicking. I was really, I was... um, I was crying so hard that no sound was coming out of me. You know, that, like that cry. <laughs> mm, I do. Mm-hmm. And I was, uh, like really, um, trembling, but it was more of like a convulsing. <laughs> mm-hmm. And my husband was trying really hard to, um, just kind of bring me back, you know, like I was just really, um, having like an emotional breakdown, I would say. And he was trying so hard to just comfort me and tell me it was okay. And, 
um, you know, kind of helped to mentally and emotionally prepare me to have this conversation, you know? And, you know, but it's hard to tell, like in a text message, is this person happy? Are they shocked? Are they pissed? <laughs> like, is he going to be really mad at me for, you know, bringing this on their family? And is he going to think I'm a liar? You know, that my first thought, honestly, was this man just passed away. Um, are they going to think that I'm trying to stake some claim, you know, or something like here I am, you know, I'm, I'm his child, I'm entitled to stuff, you know, or something, you know, and I wouldn't have blamed them, you know, for thinking that. So, you know, so I had all these things going through my head, like, oh, they're going to think that I'm just some opportunist, you know? And, uh, so my husband manages to get me, (laughs) calm down enough and I make the phone call. And um, he had me on speakerphone with himself and his wife. Um, and they were crying. They were, they were crying. I was crying. My husband was crying. <laughs> it was basically like the first five minutes, none of us could really speak because we were just crying. You know, he he said to me, you're the only one. None of us had children. So there's no children. There's no grandchildren. There were three boys. It was my my biological father, my birth father, and his two brothers. He said, your grandmother's still alive, and she's always wanted a granddaughter. Hmm. And he said, we, you know, I did tell her um, she's in shock. (laughs) So he said what we'd like to do. So we we had a nice conversation and um, he was very accepting and very happy. Um, And he said, you know, what we'd like to do is, you know, schedule a video call for the next day so that I could meet her on video. And so we did, you know, we set up that call for the next day. And, um, you know, of course I didn't sleep again. (laughs) And, um, the next day I met my, at the time she would have been, I think, 80. I met my 80-year-old grandmother for the first time on a video call. Um, and um, that was probably the most surreal thing I've ever, ever experienced. You know, we... um we were so happy, um, but at the same time felt so absolutely robbed. You know, and she kept saying, I should have, I should have been in your life. You know, I should have helped raise you. I should have been there for all of your milestones, you know, Understandably, she, you know, like myself and like a lot of other people in the family were very angry at my mother. You know, with with a discovery like this comes a lot of, or can come a lot of joy and happiness um, and a sense of finally belonging and validation and, and all of that. But at the same time, there is like so much bitterness and anger that goes along with it as well. Um, so, um, yeah. So then, you know, (laughs) 
they, you know, the news trickles through this huge Italian family (laughs) of, you know, aunts and uncles and um, other, you know, cousins and stuff like that um, throughout the family. And I start, you know, getting a barrage of, um, you know, contact on like Facebook and stuff like that, because I had written my story. I had written a few chapters of my story and I had put it out on Facebook. So that story went around and they started contacting me, all these family members, hundreds of people were contacting me. So I was pretty overwhelmed. It was overwhelming. Um, and then they ended up planning a, a reunion. They asked me to fly up there. They all wanted to meet me and they planned a family reunion just to meet me. And, um, and, um, you know, I was keeping it a secret (laughs) that I was pregnant (laughs) so that I could surprise them. So I could surprise my grandmother at the reunion. And, um, that's when, um, we announced our pregnancy to her and to the family that she was going to have a great granddaughter. So it was, it was a very, um, it was really, really amazing and really, really overwhelming. (laughs) And, um, it was, I was really sick because I was pregnant and I was having a lot of (laughs) pregnancy stuff going on. So, So I was dealing with a lot of, um, morning sickness that decided to basically stick with me through my entire pregnancy. Mm. (laughs) So on top of being like super overwhelmed emotionally, um, with meeting all these new family members, I was also like nauseous 24 seven and couldn't really eat and couldn't hold anything down. (laughs) Um, so it was, um, it was interesting. That's, um, that's kind of how it all (laughs) went down. (laughs) I think I've shed tears for you about three times throughout this story. (laughs) (laughs) Michelle, thank you for being so vulnerable with every aspect of your story. My heart just goes out to you on so many levels. I really identified so much with with what you were sharing today. And you really put it into... You really explained it so well, all the different emotions you were feeling throughout your throughout the process, throughout your journey. Yeah, right? When you when you talk to another mm-hmm. NPE, it's mm-hmm. it's so nice to feel like you are talking to somebody who really understands, mm-hmm. but at the same time it's like reliving your own trauma too, you know? Mm-hmm. Oh, and I know people that are listening right now are feeling that exact same way. Um you're your mother's response, the estrangement from your siblings, uh, connecting with, you know, finding out your birth father is dead. I mean, there's just so many sad parts of this story that we could honestly do a whole season on just picking those parts apart, you know, and and going through what that, what those feelings are like at in depth, way more in depth. I will say that I, I, I feel very grateful that when I did go there to meet everyone, um, my uncle was kind enough to take me to my father's gravesite, um, which was like really, really hard, but at the same time, you know, really therapeutic. So I got to kind of, in a way of my own, talk to him, you know, and tell him that I exist because he never knew. He never, ever knew. 
my mother never, he never even knew my mother was pregnant. Oh, right. So he had no idea. He went, he went to his grave, never, ever knowing that he had a child. Um, and that's really a hard thing to swallow, you know. That is so sad. Yeah. You ha- so you have a grandmother. I did. Unfortunately, mm-hmm. she. I only got to meet her in person once, but we did do a lot of video calls. Mm-hmm. Um, she ended up passing away last year in 2020. Mm-hmm. Um, and when she got really sick. Um, you know, I really wanted to go and and visit her and at least be able to say goodbye. But, um, the pandemic, it was like right in the early stages of the pandemic and you couldn't travel. No. Um, and she was in the hospital and they weren't going to let me in anyways. And so that, that was, you know, hard. It, It just kind of stunk that, you know, I couldn't be there with her and at least, you know, say goodbye. Um, we had a couple of, phone conversations, but, you know, she was on medication. So it was really hard, you know, hard for her to communicate. Um, but you know, she, the nice thing is that before she got really ill, you know, um, for the first few years of my daughter's life, you know, she got to have video calls and phone calls with my daughter. Um, and she just loved her to death. And I would send her photos. I had gotten her a, one of those digital frames, um, mm-hmm. where you can, um, send photos basically directly to the frame. Um, and I would, every day I would send her photos of us and of my daughter Aww. and she really, really loved that. Um, oh, yeah. I'm sure she loved it. Your daughter's just about the most cutest little thing I've ever seen. <laughs> Thank you so much. <laughs> We've been so too. <laughs> I wrote down so many notes here and I will um I will end the I will wrap up the podcast now and I'll go over this stuff off the line with you but one of the notes I I wrote down was I'm so glad you have a podcast I I really just listening to you I was like oh she explains things so well I have to tell her this I honestly had a visceral response to so much that you were speaking about today your your panic attack your your emotions all of that but but at this time again remind us of your podcast and if people want to get in touch with you Michelle how could they do that Um so yeah so my podcast is called The Secret in My DNA um, if you would like to get in contact with me, um, the email address is the secret in my DNA at gmail.com. There's also a Facebook page, um, the secret in my DNA on Facebook. Um, and, um, just kind of one thing that I'd like to, you know, finish with, you were talking earlier in the podcast about having a right to know. Um, and I, I do firmly believe that, you know, that, we do have a right to know where we come from and to know our true ancestry and our mental and physical health history. If anybody's listening who's a parent who's not been honest with your child about their true parentage, I, I strongly urge you to share the truth with them because withholding this information for any reason will drastically damage your relationship and possibly your child's mental health down the road. So, you know, if you're not sure the best way to reveal the truth to your child, there are qualified therapists that can help you communicate in a healthy way. And just remember that, 
you know, our lives are enriched by having parents who are honest with us. Honesty saves a great deal of pain in the future, and it fosters an environment of trust and genuine intimacy between parents and children. The trauma of discovering a non-paternal event later in life is something that no one asks for or deserves. And while sometimes it's said that the truth can be a double-edged sword, it is far more harmful and damaging to withhold it from the people that we love. Well said, goosebumps. Mm, I'm so glad you brought that up. Someone out there needed to hear that. Thanks. Thank you. Thank you so much from the bottom of my heart, Michelle, for coming on today and being so vulnerable and sharing your story. Thank you so much for having me, Lily. This was a great experience. These stories are here for us to identify with. If you are an NPE and would like to share your story, email npestories at gmail.com. You do not have to give any identifying information. If you are an NPE and would like to share your story, I'd like to hear from you. Subscribe to this podcast to hear more. Come heal with us. Come heal with us.